Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Church, I am really looking forward to seeing you at the end of this month at the outdoor worship event. We're having songs and stories on June 27th. It's going to be a really spectacular night to worship corporately with our community. I also want to take this moment to announce that we'll be returning to the building the weekend of July 18th and 19th. And I know for some of you, it'll feel too soon. And that's okay. You can continue to worship with us online for as long as you feel comfortable. Check out the website for all the safety protocols, the, the steps that we're going to take to make it as safe as possible. But for those of you who are interested in coming, it'll be really good to be together again. I really look forward to being together, united with you in community. So stay tuned for more details as those dates get closer. The primary conversation happening in our country right now is the mistreatment of people based on the color of their skin. And I wanna just continue to put us as a church in the middle of that conversation. There's been a lot of good happening within the, the vineyard body in the last couple of weeks. I've been hearing from you. I'm encouraged about the conversations that you've put yourself into. You've been initiating the practical steps of service that you've been doing. I've, heard, I've received messages from some of you who are repenting, repenting of sin you are becoming increasingly aware of in your life. I've heard messages from how you've been reaching out, taking steps of faith, serving in practical ways, how you've been protesting peacefully, how you've been having meaningful conversations at your dinner table and with your children about this subject. I've also heard from some of you who think we haven't gone far enough, who, who want to hear your church say black lives matter. Of course black lives matter, that's the baseline. Black lives are loved, black lives are honored hear us say that loud and clear. And I've heard from some of you who think we're going too far, and I'm sorry for you that you think that, but here's the deal. The church is the picture of what's to come. The Bible talks about how we're a colony of heaven. So go with me to the story of Paul, Paul the missionary who traveled around taking Jesus's good news all around Asia Minor. He wrote a letter eventually to the, to the um, to Philippi, right? Philippi is a colony of Rome. If you went into Philippi, you would have felt like you were in Rome. It had Roman art, Roman influence, Roman language. People there thought of themselves as citizens of Rome. So when Paul would write them in a letter called Philippians in the third chapter, he would tell them, you are a citizen of heaven. Where you live actually is a colony of heaven. It should have, it should have heavenly influence, heavenly talk. We should talk, we should, it should feel like when you walk into your community, like you're a little heaven, just like when you walk into Philippi, you feel like you're in a little Rome. So if we are the destination, if we're a picture of the destination of heaven, we cannot have injustice in our midst. We need to do these things, we need to repent. We need to lament and we need to engage. I serve on the board of Crew Campus Crusade for Christ with Atlanta pastor Crawford Loritz. And I'm so encouraged by the way he's been teaching on this. He's taught me it's not enough to be not racist. We have to be actually anti-racism. It's not enough to be pro-birth. We need to be pro-life from the moment of conception until 
the end of life. We need to stand actually against any activity that diminishes the value of any life anywhere. And I'm trying to walk this out in my own life. Since I had that conversation with Michael Sickles, we aired in our weekend services a couple of weeks ago. My husband Todd and I, we've been trying to take the initiative, trying to be proximate, trying to be students of, what, of the things that we still don't know. And every time I walk out of a conversation that maybe took me a minute to enter into, I leave it with hope. And that's what we need right now. We need some hope. Because here's the deal, Jesus loves every person of every color, period. And today we're gonna look at him talking to us about that in the, in the book of Luke chapter 15. The question in the question Jesus asked series that we're gonna address today is this one. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Yeah. That's what Jesus does. If, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15. It's a very powerful, interconnected chapter. It starts like this. Luke chapter 15, verses one and two says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, they were all gathered to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus actually liked to have sinners nearby. He welcomed them and ate with them. He was in relationship with people who were still outside of his family. He was on a mission. He wanted to bring lost people home. He literally wanted to invite them in. This chapter, Luke 15, is actually three stories interconnected with three individual pieces to it. We're gonna read about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. First, let's start with the sheep. It says, goes on in Luke 15 to say in verse three, then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The sheep, in that story, the sheep couldn't find itself. Sheep are dumb, they're defenseless. They know how to make a lot of noise, but they don't know how to get themselves back home. The shepherd had to go looking for it. That is gonna be a key characteristic in all three of the stories we'll read about the sheep, the coin, and the sun. The shepherd had to go looking for it. Then it says, he put it on his shoulders. He goes home, he calls his friend, he rejoices with me. He, Jesus, is the star of the story. That shepherd is the star of the story. It's all on him. He's the rescuer. Um, Todd and I have told you before, we're foster parents for teenage girls for about a decade. And one of those girls, um, very challenging after multiple years of living in her house, finally prayed to receive the Lord as her savior. And it wasn't like everything was instantly all better, but we were now um, on some common ground. And immediately, about a few months after she prayed to receive the Lord, we were welcoming a mission trip in Mexico where I was living as a missionary at the time from a Cincinnati church up north of us here from the vineyard in, the, in Mason. And after church on Sunday, a man I'd never met before who attended that church in Mason came up to me and said, hey Beth, do you have a minute for a, for a story? And I looked around at, at that point, I had nine kids and see if they had the tolerance to wait to go to lunch for a few more minutes. And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, um, I, do, you, do you know my mom? Her name was Barbara Shaw. And I was thinking to myself, I don't even know you. I definitely don't know your mom. But I was like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know that name. 
He said, oh, I thought maybe you would have heard of her. She's known in your hometown of Cincinnati as an intercessory prayer warrior. And I know she's prayed a lot for your ministry. I thought maybe you had known her. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, yes, that sounds familiar. I doubt, I, yes, I know who she is. I've never met her, but I've had people tell me before they've passed along our prayer requests to Barbara to pray. And he said, he told me she had passed away that year. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Then he goes, do you remember when you guys had that art auction up at the manor house in Mason? I said, yeah, I remember that. This girl had visited us in Mexico from Des Moines, Iowa, very gifted in oil canvases. And at the end of her one week mission trip, she had asked me for a stack of photographs and she selected from that stack of photographs, a couple images she translated onto a canvas. And we shipped those things from Iowa to Cincinnati where we auctioned them off to benefit the children's homes where we were working. And he said, somebody bought one of those paintings and gave it to my mom as a thank you because she had been praying for their child. And he said, and it's been hanging in her house the last couple of years. And she's been praying for the children that are represented in that picture. And I was like, that's a sweet story. Thank you for sharing that. And he said, here's the deal. When she passed away, she asked me if I would take the painting and I would put it in my house. And if I would continue praying for the kids that are represented in that picture, because she told me something in her spirit told her that the that she wasn't done yet and she didn't know what it looked like on the other side of eternity. So she asked me if I would pick up that mantle. And he's like, what do you tell your mom who's dying? You say, yes, I'll pray for those kids. But he said, here's the deal, it's been hanging in my house for a few months and I don't have the gifts she does. I just pretty much say the same thing over and over again. And so here's what I'm hoping. I wanna show you a picture of the painting I took and I want you to look at it and tell me something about those kids. Maybe give me a list of specific prayer requests since you'll, you'll recognize them. And the Lord and I started to have a conversation in that moment. Like, Lord, the girl is a really good painter, but what if I don't act? What if I don't recognize the faces in this picture? What if I just tell him like a representative orphan story? And then like somewhere between his prayer life and your heavens, you just fix that thing and apply it to the right people. Like, could you do that? Because I think if I tell him, I don't know who they are, it's, it's gonna be hard for him. And so I was listening for the Lord to give me permission for that kind of deception, which of course he never did. So I'm like, you know, getting the red light going, coming from heaven. And so I asked my kids to come around me. I'm like, hey, you guys, Mr. Shaw's gonna show us a picture of some kids. And I, I like, let's try to recognize who they are so mom can give him some specific prayer requests to pray for them. And he pulls this picture out of his Bible and we're all kind of crowding around it. And as soon as I saw it, <laughs> I was standing next to my foster daughter. It was a picture of her. It was a picture from one of our Christmases that had gotten shuffled inside of that stack of photographs and it got sent to Des Moines, Iowa. And of all the pictures, she picked that one to, to draw of that little girl. And then that picture of that painting got sent over to Ohio where someone bought it that I've never met before and gave it to a lady who I never met before who spent several years interceding on behalf of that, that face. So that on all the days that I actually didn't like doing what God had asked me to do anymore, on all the days I didn't want to go pursue that lost sheep as she was running away from the 99, God sent an intercessory prayer warrior to strengthen me in the middle of that story. And I looked at him, the first thing I actually said to him is if you're looking for a list of specific prayer requests, get your pen and paper out right now. And then I said, do you understand that your mama co-labored with me in the salvation of this little girl? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know where to look some days. I didn't know what to do some days. And God cared so much about her that he, enter, he, he enlisted one of his most powerful intercessory prayer warriors to keep us in the story, to keep us on track. 
because he is in pursuit of a relationship with her and he wanted to partner with me in it. That's, that's what it looks like for God to be looking for lost sheep. The chapter goes on to talk about a woman who loses a coin and searches for it until she finds it. It says in verse nine of that chapter, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. We see the pattern. The coin could not have found itself any more than that sheep could have found itself. The woman had to go after it and find it. God represents himself in that story as that woman. And there's rejoicing when lost things are found. <laughs> One time we were at a church picnic and my, um, I had a two four-year-olds at the time and they were playing, it was like a big park and it had a kind of like a creek, but it was a pretty big creek, like a rushing creek that went around the exterior perimeter of the property. But there was a tennis court in the middle of it. So at this church picnic, a bunch of preschoolers were playing in the tennis courts, which was awesome because you could be in real conversation with adult and feel comfortable because they were kind of pinned in like a giant playpen in this tennis court. And I was talking to someone and looking over at the tennis court every few minutes to make sure the kids were were still inside and one time when I looked over my son Evan wasn't in there and the first thing I did was whistle over to his dad and for about five minutes Todd and I looked around thinking maybe he went to get a drink or he went to chase after a ball or something but after a few minutes when we couldn't find him I alerted the entire church that was there for a picnic and all of a sudden it turned into a manhunt and it took me no time flat to jump in that river it was about up a little bit over my waist and I'm trudging through that river I didn't care what I looked like I didn't care how muddy I was getting I was looking for his body in that water and the church was yelling and screaming his name everywhere and I could feel myself on the hunt and then someone yelled above all the noise that they saw him coming down the, the lane, the entrance into the park. And I got, I jumped out of that river and I ran as fast as I could. You can't even imagine. I didn't care how undignified I looked. I ran as fast as I could. One of our foster daughters who wasn't yet used to being in a family where you tell people where you're going had taken him by the hand to the corner store to buy some gum. It was no big deal, but because I didn't know where he was, I just tore after them. And when I caught him, I was a mess. It actually took me about a day to recover. <laughs> and I can remember thinking during the course of that next 24 hours, I love the idea that that's, that kind of intensity and passion is what God embodies when he's on the hunt for us. That he doesn't care how undignified he looks. He'll trudge through muddy waters. He'll run, he'll take a flat out sprint for us. He is looking for us, he's enlisting others. Nothing will stop him. Nothing would have stopped me that day. And I am just a shadow reflection of God. Nothing stops God as he is in pursuit of us um, who are still lost. Then the chapter concludes with the story of a lost son. We call him the prodigal son sometimes. There are really actually two lost sons in that story. The one who takes the inheritance and spends it on itself and the other one who's kind of entitled and angry and is looking only to his own interests. So if you're not familiar with that story, what happens is there's a father with two sons and one son says to the dad, I like my inheritance, please. Those people would have lived in common purse. That dad would have gone around and asked people for a portion of his inheritance and taken it back and then he would have gone and given that inheritance to that son who we know from reading that chapter goes away and squanders it. He goes and spends it on his own interests until it literally runs out. And then what do you do when you run out of money? You come home, you walk home. And we know the pattern established in the earlier two portions of this exact same story. Lost things can't find themselves and there's rejoicing 
when the father finds them. These, neither of these sons could have found themselves. Don't misread this story and think the prodigal son understood what he had done wrong and came home to his father. He didn't find himself, the father went to find him. In fact, he, the father ran to that son and there's only three times in the Bible where old men run. Middle Eastern men, they don't run, it's undignified. It's not a part of that culture. Abraham did it once in Genesis 15, you see it in the Jacob and Esau story and then in this story. That father ran to that son in the same way I ran for Evan. And I, I just, um, man, I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't, are any of you out there feeling a little lost? Like you've run out of resources, like you've spent them on the wrong things or your own interests. And you're just wondering, is, is anybody looking for me? Does anyone care about where I've been and what I've done? Does it matter? Or maybe you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, you love someone who's still lost. You love someone who still thinks life is found outside of that home, outside of God's family. Here's what we know for sure. He's coming for you. He's looking for who you love. He is a father in pursuit. When <laughs> I think back, what happens when the father gets to the son, when he runs to the son, he invites him home to eat with him. He's now, now we're, we're ending this story in the way we began it. Jesus, in the beginning of this chapter, sat down and ate with sinners. This is what he does. He was modeling what his father does. In this story, this father sat down and ate with that sinner. He was, he, this is what Jesus does. He, he was hurt, he's hurrying. When he sat down and ate with them, it would have been a sign in that culture of things like acceptance, even protection. And I love how he even goes to that older son, the one that's entitled and angry and only thinking about his own interests. He says in verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. He has compassion for even the one that was entitled. So wherever your sin has taken you, whatever attitude you might have adopted, here's the message that is, I want you to hear crystal clear. God rejoices to bring you home. Who we are and where we've been and what we've lost, it doesn't scare him. He rejoices. He rejoices to bring us home. I had a, uh, one of our foster daughters ran away from home one time and it was... Um, I, I actually don't know if I've ever been more scared in my parenting career. We've been parents now for more than about two and a half decades. I, I don't remember any night I spent more terrified than the night that she ran away from home. And um, when I was growing up, my mom used to tell me, when you get scared, you run to the 911 verse. That's Psalm 91.1. And I can remember that night, I said it a thousand times, just chanted it to myself. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I just kept saying it to myself over and over again until I allowed the Lord to convict my heart because here's what the truth was. I was so scared that night because I had gotten the idea that I was her shelter. And in my absence, she was out there unsheltered. That's not how the Bible was written at all. The truth is God has always been her shelter. He used me for a season. But that night when she was out of my home, she was still underneath God's protection. And, and as I, my heart started to calm with the realization of this truth, God brought me to a passage I bet you I've read a thousand times since then. It's Ezekiel chapter 26. Listen up, especially if you love someone who's still outside of God's family and you feel that sense of panic I felt that night that you want to make sure they understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel chapter 26 says this, for I will take you from among the nations and I will gather you out of all the countries and I will bring you back into your own land. You see who the responsibility 
is falling on. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and to carefully observe my ordinance. God takes all responsibility. He takes responsibility for our cleansing, our renewing, our gathering, our giving of a new heart. It's our job to join him, to look for those who are lost and then rejoice when they are found. And if you're listening to us um, right now and you're thinking, I'm that person. I know there's a gathering of 99 somewhere, but I feel like I'm separated from them. I feel like I'm away from that party. I wanna remind you that God literally rejoices to find you. If you wanna be in relationship with Jesus, it's frankly as simple as A and B and C. A is admit you're the sheep, lost and defenseless. Admit that you have sinned. Admit that you can't find your own way home, that you need him to come for you and believe. That's the B. Believe that God loves you. Believe that he died for you. You can still have questions. I'm fond of saying God loves a good question asker, but believe that God has found you. C is commit. Commit all the rest of your days to him. Commit to being a part of this story. Commit to engaging in relationship with him. Commit to that. And when you do that, you enter into relationship with Jesus and the angels rejoice. And we'll, we'll pray that prayer here in a minute. Listen, church, I'm, I'm gonna finish our time together with how I started it. Will we engage with the hurt and lost world right now? Will we look to Jesus and invite people to our table the way that he did? Will we leave what's comfortable and go after sheep instead of just being really grateful we're part of the 99? Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death in order to save us. We too, we're gonna have to leave some things behind and go after those who are not yet reconciled to him. We must leave our comfort zones and our selfish desires in order to join God in his mission of looking for lost sheep. So whether God brings to mind someone in your neighborhood or someone in your family or someone in this city or someone around the world, God is looking for us to partner with him. In my household, this is the week of the year that we honor the life of my dad because 24 years ago this week, he went home to be with Jesus. And the last week he was alive, I can remember he was hospitalized here in Cincinnati at Christ Hospital. and. Um, he, he knew he was dying and he asked me to dial an extended relative of his and he got on the phone and he said, hey, I know you're probably coming here to Ohio for my funeral in the next couple of weeks. Here's what I want you to do. Spend the money now, buy the ticket now, come, come now. I'd rather see you before I pass away than have you come later. Just skip the funeral and come see me now. And not too many people tell a dying man no. So that relative did come to Cincinnati the very next day. And I can remember as we were waiting for her to go in the room, he didn't have a long, he didn't have a lot of opportunity. He, he didn't, he couldn't stay awake a lot anymore. So I knew it would be a short visit. And he asked me to leave the room and he was alone with her for a little bit in his hospital room. And eventually she left kind of teary-eyed and I walked in expecting him to be cashed out because he spent far longer with her than I had imagined he had the endurance to do so. But when I walked in the room, he was sitting up in bed and he was all like all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and he was so excited and he said, Beth, if she comes to the kingdom with us, this'll be all worth it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is absolutely not worth it. Nothing is worth it. I don't want to lose you under any circumstances. No, no, this is not worth it. 
And he spent the next few minutes explaining to me about what it looked like to understand that this life is actually all about that one. I, I now can look back and realize he already had a foot in eternity. He already understood the things that I was yet immature to understand. Nothing was worth it to me at that time. But I want to live in that thin space. I want to live in that place where I understand absolutely whatever it costs us, church. We need to spend everything we have in order to bring lost sheep into this family. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, may we look like you. May we be in pursuit for lost sheep and coins and sons. May we trust you with those that we love that are wandering. May we ask you on a daily basis how you might want to use us in that story. Jesus, our hands are open. Our hearts are soft. Everything you've given us will give you back. What is it going to cost? It doesn't matter. May we look like you, invite people to our table. May we look like you. May we be running through creeks and across the field. No matter how undignified it makes us look, may Jesus, we be about your mission, your work in this city and in this season. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We trust you. We give you our lives. We admit to you outside of, outside of you, we, we can't do anything. We are sinners. And we believe you died on the cross for our sins. And we commit the rest of our days to you. Be with us in relationship, Jesus. We trust these things and we, we ask them all in the name of your resurrected son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.